Good evening. It is Exodus. We are to be at Exodus chapter 34. We're going to be there. We won't have to move a lot. So if you would make your way to Exodus 34. Appreciate Michael with an excellent reading there. I'm supposed to say that um, the Ladies' Day on November 9th, uh, there will be child care. That's not listed on here, but there will be child care for that. And it starts at 8.30. I'm, I'm a little bit confused because I'm sitting there thinking that's usually like February, March. This is a different uh, thing than the other, but th- that's an annual thing. This is a great experience for ladies and for our girls, too. And I think that's, some of that is relation to lads to leaders. But the, the topic is amazing. Uh, the speakers are amazing. You'll want to be part of that on November 9th for sure. The greatest thing uh, for Christians um, about God is that we serve a God who is so knowable and so near. He's mysterious, and I don't mean to um, minimize that, but, but God wants to be known. He wants his people to have an avenue of relationship with him. And he makes it possible because without him moving first, we would have never been able to get to know him. Uh, It says something about him that in creation, he says in Acts chapter 17 through Paul's preaching to the people in Athens, God in creation puts his fingerprints all over. It's God is inviting us to search for him, and God wants us to know that he's not far from any one of us. So if you in creation, as you look out there in the world, and you know uh, this had to have gotten here some way, I know there's a creator out there, and if you search just a little bit, God will let you find him. He's a God who wants you to seek, but he makes it easy. It's sort of like, it's sort of like when you're playing hide-and-seek with your grandkids, and, uh, and, and they count to ten, and here you are hiding behind this pulpit, right? But you stick your foot out like this with your grandkids, you know? And you say, uh, where, where do you think I am? And you're, I mean, it's obvious you're not trying to, hard, to, to hide too hard. You are making it very, very easy for your kids. You don't want it to be hard. When you hide Easter eggs, it's so obvious in plain sight, most of them. God's like that. He says, I want you to come looking for me. I want you to, to get the idea that I'm here, and then I want you to do the work of finding me, and I'm not going to make it very hard for you. Which causes us to ask this question. Why do some people not want to find him? If he is knowable, he invites and desires a relationship with us. Why do so many people simply reject the offer? Even his own people often fail to come as close as he lets them come. You get together as God's people in assembly like this. It says, we draw near to him and he draws near to us. We are allowed to draw near, and yet so many people choose not to do that. Even his own people in Exodus, they're on the mountain, and God comes down and he speaks so so loudly and so clearly and gives evidence of his presence there. And the people say, forget this. We don't want to do this anymore. Moses, you intercede for us. We don't want to get this close. But Moses like we should desire, plunges further, spends weeks with God on that mountain, and speaks face to face. And it does something to Moses. And so we're in chapter 34, where we were last time. Uh, If you underline in your Bible, you have to underline verses 6 and 7. 
It is the self-definition of God, the definition of God that is still in existence and valid today. It's the best one. Read a moment ago, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God speaks this to Moses and says, This is me. Here's my definition. Notice what Moses then does. He's got as close as anyone ever has, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. He's just had like this close encounter with God, and God defines himself. And the first thing he does is he humbles himself and he worships. You know God, you know his nature. You realize we have an all powerful, all sovereign God who could be despotic. When there's a human being who has all power and all authority over his people, they nearly all get, they all get egotistical, they all get selfish, they all get self-righteous, they all get demanding of people. We serve a God who has everything at his disposal, yet he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. And so the first thing that Moses does when he realizes this is the nature of the God who leads us, the first thing he does is he bows his head and he worships, and then he looks up. He looks up then, it says, and he says, If now I have found favor in your sight, this is the second time he said that in the chapter before that, if I have found favor, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. He listens to what God does. First thing he does is worship, and then he has the audacity to pray a bold prayer. He says to him, God, I know you've already revealed that you're going to send an angel instead of you, but God, I'm in your midst, and I've heard how you've just defined yourself. You're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity. So here's what I'm going to call upon you to do. I'm going to call upon you to change your mind, take back sending an angel, and go do this in your own full presence. We want you with us yourself. We don't want some angel. The audacity to stand before God and pray so boldly almost seems out of place, except in the New Testament we're told to do the same. Come boldly before the throne of God and make your request known. If you know God well, you will be able to boldly come. Don't come meekly and don't come with some wimpy little request. Be a person. Do you know who God is? Yes, I know God is. The Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He does not always accuse nor harbor his anger forever. I know that God. He's revealed himself. And because of that, he says, and I love the argument of Moses. God says, I can't go with you. You're stiff-necked. Moses says, you're right. We're stiff-necked. You need to go with us. Makes sense, doesn't it? God says, I'll kill you. You're so stiff-necked. And Moses says, if you don't go, we'll never make it. It's a great thing of saying, God, you've revealed yourself. I now know who you are, and I want to make an argument based on your character. And that's what prayer is. And so he boldly goes before him. He cashed in some of his credibility, it seems to me, and he boldly approaches God. It seems to me when you look at the screen right there, 
If we struggle with worship and we struggle with bold prayer, it's because we don't know God well. Moses knew God well. He had no trouble bowing to worship. He had no trouble being bold. Now, I think I'm a pretty nice guy. I don't bite. I never have that I remember. I don't have malevolent ideas in my mind for people. But some of our kids here at church are absolutely terrified of me. Chief among them is Sailor. She's the worst of all. Treats me like I'm the plague. And no matter what I do to try to win her over, she will have none of it. And I'm not alone in this. John McKnight is an evil, sinister man, too. And I kept trying to be nice and sweet and kind and to elicit some kind of positive response from her. It does no good. And I just wonder sometimes if God doesn't feel the way I feel. He's made himself knowable. And yet despite this, Despite, as, despite how close he gives us the opportunity to be, we just refuse to come. It's like, I can't imagine God being friendly with me. If, if a God, uh, like I imagine, <clears throat> I imagine a God, uh, as I know myself, if I got close, he'd get mad. No, that's not true. If you think that, you don't know God, and that's the whole problem, isn't it? You don't know him. He's trying to reveal himself, and he's trying to woo you to himself and reveal himself to you as a God who's very approachable. He's so very approachable. Now, you can't imagine it because you know your sinful nature. But Moses knew it too. He says, you can't afford not to come into his presence. It's an interesting thing. And I guess I would compare it, and I compare it too many times to this, to the Ten lepers who, they can't get near Jesus because they've got to cry out unclean, unclean. But then Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest that you're clean. And on the way, they get clean. Now there's no reason why they can't come all the way up to Jesus' feet. But how many of them do? One out of ten. It's almost got, got I'm, I'm making it possible. I, I'm making it possible for you to come straight into my presence and draw near right into my throne room and we choose not to it's crazy why do we do that as if somehow we're not desirous of a closeness that God makes possible now God agrees to this request though I want you to notice that as we go back to the text and he's almost giddy with excitement I want you to hear God speak and he said God said behold He's ready. He's more ready to say yes than you are to ask him to say yes. He's more ready to change his mind toward you than you are to ask him to. And he said, behold, I'm making a covenant. I'm renewing our covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels. It's almost like I'm forgiving and I'm forgetting and I'm putting that behind. And now I've got a new dream. I've got a new dream for my people. We're going to do amazing stuff. Now listen to this. Such as has not been created in all the earth and any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. It's an awesome thing I'm going to do with you. God starts dreaming new dreams and starts opening up new possibilities of the future and says, yes, I will go with you, and I'm going to do incredible stuff, and you're going to see it, and you're going to be a front row seat to what I do. It's like he's removed the sin now. We have a whole new possibility in front of us. It's a God we serve. He's defining, he just defined himself, and now he's practicing his self-definition right there in front of him. 
Then he starts restating the covenant, and that's what the rest of this chapter is. We're not going to read the whole thing, but it's really strange. He makes reference to the failure. He makes reference to the, the thing that nearly broke the covenant. It did break the covenant, and they're having to renew it because of the golden calf. And so he starts renewing some of the promises, but he's also making some demands. There's one thing God promises here. Verse 11, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I'm gonna, I, I'll do it. I'll go with you. I will drive these people out. This is the same promise he's made since the book of Genesis all the way through Exodus. He's going to say it all the way through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. I'm going to drive the nations out. But you've got to do some things. In order to receive these promises, you have some obligations too. And he, and he states them on here. You can have no agreements with them that allow them to live among you. You can't make covenants with people who, who believe different from you and in the land. I want you to drive them out. I don't want there to be thorns in your sides. I don't want there to be alternative theories of reality. I don't want there to be alternative worldviews. I don't want there to be the possibility of alternative facts to float around in your midst. I want you to get rid of them. No covenants made with people. Number two. Don't allow the way they worship to remain in the land. When you wipe them out, you take out all their worship paraphernalia. I want you to destroy all their worship sites. I don't want you to be ensnared by their worship practices. And number three, I don't want you to marry them. I don't want you to marry their offspring. There is a whole lot more in Scripture. Let me say it this way. There is so much in Scripture to say don't marry someone who doesn't have your beliefs than it says to ever about intermingling races. He's not concerned about races intermingling. He's worried about worldviews intermingling because that can change entire destinies of people. So don't make any covenants with people. I'm going to drive people out, but you've got... Because here's the deal. The promise of driving them out will be sabotaged if you do these things. You're working against God. And so if you want him to keep his promise, you've got to do your work. His promises are conditional. Every promise of God is conditional upon our belief and upon our cooperation with him. The second thing that's so weird about this, he doesn't go into all the Ten Commandments. Now, he's going to have Moses create those tablets, and I don't know whether Moses writes the Ten Commandments or God does it. It's kind of hard to tell in the text, but he says both, so whatever. The second thing that he stresses, first of all, no covenants. Second of all, he says, keep the feasts. And, and, and you're like, I'm a New Testament believer. That doesn't even apply to me, but I want you to listen very carefully why he stresses this. And these feasts are described for the rest of the chapter until you get to verse 28 where we end for tonight, right? Why are these feasts such a big deal? Parties where you eat and you commemorate certain events of the past. Notice he names some of them. The Feast of Unleavened Bread in verse 18. He mentions the Sabbath in verse 21. The Feast of Weeks and the end gathering at verse 22. These are scattered throughout the year. It's interesting. He wants, he wants to stress you've got to keep the feasts. Of all the things God could have reasserted and renewed in his covenant about adultery or stealing, or he doesn't mention all those things. That wasn't the problem that led to the broken covenant. The thing that led to the broken covenant 
was something different. He says, I want you to keep the feast. What's the big deal about the feast? Number one, they involve giving God your time. They're scattered throughout the year. Near the beginning of the year, you have Passover. And you remember the Passover, the great redemptive event in the Old Testament. And then you got a little bit f- f- further down the time, you got, you've got certain other holidays about, uh, and you got every Saturday is Sabbath, right? So you got every day, every week you've got something. And then you, toward the end of the year, you got where you take in all the, the, the harvest, and at the end of that time, you give God the first fruits of the harvest, and a little bit later, you do some more. God scatters these throughout the year so that the rhythm of life is constantly disturbed. God's constantly pesking with your pesking, messing with your calendar. He's, he's reordering your calendar. You can't get in much of a rut or routine when every couple months you've got to stop and go to Jerusalem and honor this feast. What's the big deal? God knows that what you spend time doing shapes you the most. It's our greatest commodity is time. It's the most valuable asset we have. And it tells you more about you than anything in your life. What do you spend your time on? You can say whatever you say about what you think is important. But show me your calendar and I'll tell you what you really think is important. Show me what you write on that calendar, what you go to and what you spend your time with. And these festivals spread throughout the year. The men, he says, the men of all the land, no matter where you move to, you've got to come back and approach the Lord three times a year. And he says, don't worry, I'll take care of your enemies and I'll take care of your land. But you've got to leave your land and you've got to come into the presence of the Lord in a very special way this three times of the year. He does not want you living your life without him being part of your time. We'll see why in a minute. Secondly, it involves giving God your kids. You've got to take your kids with you, but... Even more, Passover is about the firstborn belong to me, all of them. And you've got to redeem them. I don't want you to bring them to the temple and give me all these kids running around the temple. What I want you to do is I want you to redeem them. I want you to acknowledge your kids belong to me. And I want you to know that, but more than that, I want you to prove to me that you acknowledge that. Your kids belong to me. Now, do you all know this? Do all of you know that as much as you love your kids and you want to give them the best of everything and you want to involve them in everything and see every sport they want to try and see if it really kind of resonates, whatever talent and artistic expression they have, give them exposure to all that. But above everything else, give your kids to God. That's the number one mission that you're assigned to because they don't belong to you forever. You're going to turn them back over and hopefully they'll be voluntary Worshippers of Jehovah God. If you get them in every sport and you lose them for God, you have just failed in the primary responsibility as a parent. And God says, I want you to acknowledge this, and I want you to give me your kids, and I want you to raise them for me, and I want them to see you rearranging your schedules, not so much for football all the time, but I want you to rearrange your schedule, make sure you put God in the center and they can tell, not by your words, but they can tell by your schedule and where you take them in the car. I want you to do this. And these holidays are all about that. These holidays are about giving God the best stuff. Don't come before me. You see verse 21, do not come before me empty-handed. Sorry, that's verse 20. None shall appear before me empty-handed. Bring your children, and also bring the first fruits of your crop. 
The very first of the cotton, the very first of the soybeans, the very first of the... This is not like, let's live and do all this stuff, and then whatever we have at the end of the month, we'll throw in the offering. No, this is taking it right off the top. This is deciding as soon as I get my check, the first check I write is one that goes to God. I'm making sure I'm giving him the best, the first of all of it. He's priority. God's saying you need to put me first. And these festivals are practical ways on your calendar and with your time to put me first. They are so they are so pesky. You can't get into a flow of life and a pattern of routine because God disrupts your routine and makes you come see Him because He knows what your mama knows. If she doesn't tell you once in a while, hey, call me, you might not. He's a life giver and He's a life sustainer, but do you really know that and so he reorders their life periodically throughout the year they have to come see him in a very specific way now here's why i think these two emphases make no covenant with any other nation and come to all the festivals here's the two reasons why i think he stresses that he looks back at that golden calf and he says you know why that happened number one you let the world influence you more than me you chose to be like everybody else rather than me. And so here they are, Moses is up on the mountain, and they're, they're going, well, we've got to find somebody to lead us, so let's look back at Egypt. What did they do in Egypt? What did the nations around us do? They worship golden calves, so let's do that. Let's make a golden calf. And the first thing they do is they start becoming like everybody else. That's going to always be our tendency. It's always going to be this way. We're always going to look around at what's familiar, what everybody else is doing, and let's do something similar to that. And God sees it, and he says, I want you driving them out. I want you not making covenants. Don't marry with them, and don't worship like them. I want your eyes on me. And so how's he going to do that? Don't make any covenants. The second thing is they forgot that the source of their blessing was God himself. When you stop thanking and worshiping God, you'll start looking around and attributing your blessings to something else. You always will. And things have not changed. When we go wrong and we find ourselves drifting into sin, I would venture to say nearly every time it's one of these same two things. We're taking our cue from the world, trying to be as much like them as we can, and we've lost sight of giving God the credit for all the good in our lives. Those two things go hand in hand. And renewing the covenant, God says, I'm excited about the awesome things I'm going to do, and you're going to see. But look at me and give me credit. How in the world do we motivate ourselves to do this? How do we ramp up in ourselves the desire to give God our best? to motivate ourselves to be like him and to please him more than our friends and the media and the people at school and even our employer. How, how do we do that? And it has to be the same way that Moses did. You get close to God and you really see who he is. Study him, know him, experience him, draw close to him. Don't just believe or worship and serve him, but you're gonna wanna draw close. And the closer you get and the more you know him, the more the natural reaction is to bow your head and worship him and to pray to him 
I really believe this. If Sailor will give me a chance, by the time she's 12, she's going to think I'm the coolest guy here. I think, I think, if she'll just give me a chance. I already think Myatt does. Every time I'm around Myatt, he thinks I'm neat. Hazel's cool with me. Bo's cool with me. Sailor, just, she's a little stubborn. But she's going to learn. And I'm going to do what I can to do that, and I'm going to keep trying. And I wonder if God is thinking the same with us. He's right here. He's revealing himself. He's willing to reveal himself and interact with us. And he's not far from any of us. He's right here. He extends his hand in invitation. Draw close. Get closer. Come on, draw. Quit, quit, quit being timid. Quit being shy. Quit staying away. Come close. And the closer you get, the more advantage you take of his invitation, the more you'll become like him. And the more you'll realize you don't want the world. It's not good enough. It's just not good enough. You'll stay away. You won't make covenants with the world. You won't compromise your faith because you realize that your holiness makes you happier than the happiness of the world. And you'll have no trouble thanking God constantly for what He does because you know every good thing comes from Him. In Acts 17, Paul puts it best. God is right here in creation. He's not far from any one of us. If you would just seek Him, you'll find Him. God's made sure that's true. But you do have to seek Him. You do have to seek Him. And as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, pursue all these things now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Just try Him. Just try Him. You might try like Daryl does. These salmon patties are delicious. I think they're gross. I think when you find God and you taste Him, you get an experience like Moses. When you get that close and you find out what He's like, you'll never want to be far away again. And it'll draw you close. I don't know if you've found that true with God or not, but if you are a person... You've kind of kept your distance. You've kind of kept your space away from him. Despite the fact he's doing this, and he's prodding, and he's wooing you, and you've kept yourself at a distance, maybe tonight you're ready to say, you know what, I'm ready to span that distance. I'm ready to come right into his presence. And I'm ready to, I'm ready to, to through Jesus as Lord, and through immersion and confession and repentance, I'm ready to get close into him. Not just close to him, but into Christ. and Be God's person. If that's where you are, do not leave here tonight without doing that. If you've been close and let yourself drift, do whatever it takes to draw close like Moses did. Return to your worship and return to that bold prayer. Whatever is your need tonight, make it known as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.